you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. You know, one of the, one of the things that I love about this church family, man, which by the way, the, the church isn't the building. You know, it's not these, these buildings, these walls. It's we are the church. It's the body of Christ, and Jesus Christ is the head of it. And, and one of the things that I love about this church is, man, there's freedom to worship in this house. There's freedom to praise God in this place. And, you know, whether you want to stand there, sit there, you want to raise your hands and, and give him a shout of praise or something, you have the freedom to do that because in this house is, is an audience of one. And even these people that are up here, they're not singing for us. There's an audience of one. It's for him. It's all about him. It's all about what he's done and what he's continuing to do because he's not finished with us yet. He's not finished with this church yet. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited for the future. Amen. That's right. Man, so uh, today we're going to be in Judges uh, chapter 9. Judges chapter 9. Last week we wrapped up this story about a very unqualified, very unlikely doubting coward of a man named Gideon that God used to save an entire nation, the nation of Israel. But even though God used this man to save an entire nation, his story actually ends tragically. And we talked about that last week. His story ends tragically because he starts to become kind of power hungry. Um, and uh, he actually leads the entire nation of Israel astray. And that's where we kind of wrapped up last week. And we're going to keep on going where we, we're going to pick up where we left off, keep on going in that story. Because there's really not a whole lot left in this man's story, in Gideon's story. Because where we left off last week, basically leading the whole nation of Israel astray, it just mentions a couple random things about this dude's life, and then that's it. Kind of wraps it up. Um, one thing we learn about this guy, after we, we see that he led the nation of Israel astray, is the fact that he had multiple wives. Like, this dude had tons of wives. But then on top of that, he had a concubine on the side. So having multiple wives wasn't enough for this dude. He also had have this concubine on the side. And, and as a result of that, as a result of having tons of wives and this concubine on the side, guess what else this dude had a ton of? He had a ton of kids. And, and not just, I'm not, I'm not talking about just like a lot. Like we think about a lot and we're like, oh yeah, five, six kids. I'm talking about a ton. This dude had 71 sons. If you include the concubine on the side, son, 71 of them. Like, I mean, just imagine, like picture that in your head for just a second. 71 sons. Yeah, people are like, nah, uh-uh. I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. Dude, it's crazy. That's nuts. Like, I've got, uh, most of you I think know in here, I, I'm the proud father of two kids. Uh, I've got two incredible kids I love so much. Uh, so proud of them. My son Liam and my daughter Darcy, who is sitting right here. I'm so proud of you guys. I love you. Um, and my son, I'm proud of him. I love him so much. He is the sweetest guy ever. But he also, we were actually talking about this out, out there, he is also so aggressive. This dude, I've said this before, if he were a pro wrestler, which he might grow up to be one, I don't know. Just look out. Uh, just wait and see, Liam. Uh, but if he is a pro wrestler, his pro wrestling nickname, I believe, would be destruction. Because this dude loves to destroy things. He is like, he's just so aggressive. Again, he's the sweetest kid ever, but he loves to destroy things. And actually, case in point, I was, I was already going to mention this, but I was kind of thinking about this the other day. But then something happened yesterday, and i got to share this with you. Like, my wife and I, all my family, we're gathered together. We're, we're hanging out. My wife and I go into the kitchen. The kids are in the living room, right? So as my wife and I are in the kitchen, we hear this pounding on the wall, right? And I'm, I look at my wife. I'm like, what is that? 
what's going on? She's like, I don't know. So I go in there to the living room, and one thing that my, my son, Liam, is very skilled at, like it's a natural skill for him destroying things, but something else that he's really skilled at is like climbing things. This dude's like a spider monkey. He can climb anything. It's crazy, right? And so he's climbed up to the top of the couch, and he has taken this thing. I don't even know what it is, some kind of a toy, but he takes these toys, um, just like he took this one, and he made it into big, basically a makeshift sword, right? So he's taking this toy, this random object, and he is like hitting the wall with it, like literally trying to stab the wall and making grunt noises, like, ah, ah. That's what he's doing. He's two years old. And so I go in there. I, I see this. I'm like, son, stop. What are you doing? And he looks at me, right? I'm like, so what are you doing? What are you doing? He looks at me. Right? And he doesn't hit me or anything. This is what he does. He grunts at me, and he goes, ah, ah, ah. I'm like, what in the world, boy? And then he proceeds a few minutes later to run around crazy and starts to try to bite the furniture. And I have to tell him, no, son, you can't bite the furniture. He's worse than my dog. Like, it's crazy. That's what he does. And so, so I'm just thinking, when I, when I read this, 71 sons, I'm like, dude, if I had 71 sons, I wouldn't have a house. They would have destroyed my house by now. It'd be burnt down or something, you know? So it's crazy, but that's how many this dude had. And one of them, the one that he had with a concubine, his name was Abimelech. We're going to get to him a little later. That's the guy that we're really going to be diving into today. But before we talk about Abimelech, I got a quick question for you. How many people in here know that a lot of times our past failures and mistakes in life have a way of kind of creeping back up, resurfacing? Or every, people are already shaking their head. Resurfacing and kind of biting us in the butt. That's what they really do. They come back and they bite us in the butt. And it might be a mistake, a failure, or... Or maybe it's like a little white lie. You thought it was, wasn't a big deal. It's a little, little white lie. Then it resurfaces and, and it just like snowballs and it gets worse and worse. I think we've all experienced that at some point in our life or another. It's, to give an, a visual, it kind of reminds me. Well, well, first of all, qu- quick question. Who in here uh, likes mosquitoes? Raise your hand if you like mosquitoes. Okay, I just want to make, sure, make sure I don't have anybody to watch out for. Because if you do, I love you, but there's something wrong with you. Okay, I'm just saying I love you. And I'll pray for you, but I'm pretty sure those things are straight from hell. And when Jesus comes back, that's going to be the first thing to go is mosquitoes. But it's kind of like when I think of this, I think of mosquitoes. And so like in the summertime, you go out, let's say you're going camping and you've got this spray, the bug spray. So you spray yourself, you lather yourself down. But then that one little area that you forget to get, right, the mosquitoes somehow find it and they continually bite you in that one space that you didn't cover over, right? That one little mistake, they keep on coming back to bite you over and over again. Well, that's kind of what happened with Gideon in this scene when it came to the concubine on the side. Because it was bad enough this dude had multiple wives, right? Like this, being a one-woman man, like went way out the window for Gideon. This dude also, he had to have more. He had to have the concubine on the side. And it reminds me of last week we talked about Gideon when it came to power. He started becoming power hungry, right? He wanted more and more and more, which led him at least for a season in his life to almost become like a tyrant, right? And, and, and so when it came to these wives and the concubine, he wanted more and more. And that mistake ultimately led him to having this other son on the side with the concubine on the side named Abimelech. What we're going to find out is Abimelech, this dude was a bad, bad dude, bad dude. Like, he, he made Gideon look like a saint, and honestly, bad dude in some of the worst possible ways. But what we're going to see, what, what Gideon found out, and what we're going to read about, is the fact that, that God, while he is very loving and very gracious, very merciful, he is all those things, at the same time, not separate times, but at the same time that he's loving, merciful, and gracious, he is also the Alpha and the Omega, 
He is the righteous judge, and he is an immovable force. No matter how much you may want his throne or try to replace him, you can't. You can't. Bottom line, and that's what Abimelech's going to find out. And more to the point, what he's going to find out, as our big idea states, is that Jesus is the stone crusher. Jesus is the stone crusher. Because ultimately, he will completely destroy all the stones or the makeshift functional saviors, the idols in our life. He will completely destroy them. The only question is, will we surrender those things over to him, those stones in our life, those idols in our life, or will we cling to them and be destroyed along with them in the process? Let's pray. Father, I just, uh, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be used by you. I thank you so much for what you've done for us. I pray that you use me, a broken, sinful man, incapable of, of clearly articulating your word. I, fa- I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit, that you would just take over. You would speak in me, speak through me, speak to me. Speak to your people. I pray for change from this, because ultimately I know that's what your heart is. I know that you want us to remind us of ourselves of your truths and what you've done for us and I thank you for your word for the for the Bible that you have given to us and the the fact that you have given us this collection of people your body Jesus the body of Christ to come together and to remember what you've done for us and to be reminded of your truths who we are and who you are but I also pray that you would you would help us to leave here different that you would help us to leave here changed that you would help us to be people that are not satisfied with, with just simply staying where we are, that we are content in you, but at the same time, we continue striving for you, and we continue striving to advance your gospel and to advance your kingdom. In this community that you have placed us in, we are not here by accident. We are here because you have placed us here. And I pray that you help us to understand that and to see that. I pray that you help us to give, give us your eyes and your heart and your passion. Help us to see us ourselves as you see us and help us to see the world around us as you see it. So many people that are so lost and broken and hurting that need you so desperately. I pray that if there's anybody in here that does not know you, I pray that you would, you would open their eyes and open their heart. Do, perform the miracle that only you can perform. I can't do this. It's not gonna be through my words. It's only through your power. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just perform that miracle of salvation for anybody that doesn't know you today. And for the rest of us, I pray that you would make us and mold us more and more into your image. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, uh, Judges chapter 9. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and break it open. Don't break it, just break it open to Judges chapter 9. Um, also, a uh, quick hit on the, uh, uh, the church app as well. Been hitting on that a lot. If you've got the church app, please go ahead and you can, you can access that. If you don't, please get it. That thing is incredible. I have so many things on there av- available for Apple and Android as well. Uh, cool features, lots of cool features. Go on there and check it out. One of the things that you have, one of the features, is every single Sunday you have all of the text in order and the same translation that we're going to be diving into it. So if we even skip over some verses, you're going to see that in there, and you have a place to take notes. And you've also got the life group questions, sermon-focused life group questions that we hit on every single uh, time that we gather together as a life group. They're available in the back, the hard copy, but you also have it on the church app. So just a quick hit on that, but if you've got the church app, you can go ahead and, and access that, get the scripture up, and we've got it on the screen as well as always. So let's go ahead and dive in. Judges chapter 9. 
starting with verse 1 from the very beginning. Abimelech, here he is, Abimelech, son of Jerubbabel. What an awesome name. That's Gideon, by the way, Gideon. Uh, went to Shechem and spoke to his uncles and to his mother's whole clan, saying, Please, speak in the hearing of all the citizens of Shechem. Is it better for you that 70 men, all the sons of Jerubbabel, again Gideon, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Obviously talking about himself. Remember that I am your own flesh and blood. Okay, so this is the very beginning of this dude's story like we are first briefly introduced to him in the previous the end of the previous chapter chapter eight but it's just because of the fact that he um, was Gideon's son from the concubine on the side and it mentions his name that's it this is the first time we're actually introduced to his story and we're going to dive into it more and more through the text but the very first part the very first thing that we see about this dude as we dive into his story is we see this dude like essentially sweet talking these people trying to work his way in and really trying to manipulate them into giving his power so that he can become their king like that's the very first thing that we see him doing in this scene and remember these are God's people right and so these people at this point in time they've already turned their backs on God forgetting essentially who God is what he's done for them, which is to save them time and time again. But then also, more specifically, they have forgotten who God has called them to be, which is his people that he rules over because he is their king. So what they're, what, what's, what's going on right now is Abimelech wants them, these people, God's people, to elevate him to the place of God essentially in their lives. And what we're going to see, what the Israelites are about to do is something that they do time and time and time again, is they are about to replace God, or at least attempt to replace God. The reason is because ultimately, they want the throne, not the God on the throne. They want his throne and the control and the power that comes with it, not the God on the throne. So through their actions, what they're essentially telling God is, hey, look, we don't want you. In fact, we're going to replace you right? So you can get down off that throne. We want to replace you. We just want the throne and the power, the control and the authority that goes with it, right? And that's exactly what Abimelech wants. He doesn't want God. He actually wants to be God, and he wants the throne. Let's keep on going in this story, verse 3. It says, his mother, talking about Abimelech, his mother's relatives spoke all these words about him in the hearing of all the citizens of Shechem, and they were favorable to Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. So they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the temple of Baal-Bareth. Abimelech used it to hire, check this out, worthless and reckless men. He used it to hire worthless and reckless men. And they followed him. He went to his father's house in Ophrah and killed, check this out, killed his 70 brothers, the sons of Jerubal, again, Gideon, on top of, and, and catch this part, on top of a large stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubal, survived. Because he hid. Then all the citizens of Shechem, Shechem and, and of Beth Milo gathered together and proceeded to make Abimelech king at the oak of the pillar in Shechem. So these people have once again turned their backs on the God who saves. Time and time again, God has saved them. And time and time again, they have turned their backs on him. And once again, they are also wanting the throne, not the God on the throne, which is why they have so easily allowed themselves to be manipulated by this guy Abimelech by essentially putting him into the place of God in their lives. Because remember, God is the one that rules over them. God is their king, but now they are looking to this man as their king, Abimelech in the place of God in their lives. 
And, and before we start to judge these people, man, we have to be honest with ourselves with the fact that we do this. We still do this to this day, like multiple times. We are so bad at trying to replace God. And we do this every time, catch this, every time that we look to other people to save us in place of the only one that actually has the power and the authority to save us, which is Jesus Christ. We do this multiple times, even to this day, just like the Israelites did. And one quick example, like practical example of this, is something that happens every four years when we vote on the person that's going to lead our country, right, the, the president. Because what happens is a lot of times, not all of us, but some of us get so consumed in this, get so consumed in this person, right, that, that we're looking to essentially as this functional savior, this person that, that you know, he's going to save me, he's going to save my family, he's going he's gonna to save this, this country, right, in place of Again, the only one that truly can save us, which is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when I say that, man, I'm not saying, please don't leave here and say that that, that preacher like, doesn't want us to vote and doesn't agree with, I'm not saying that, okay? In fact, don't, don't go to the other extreme of this. Like, it's good to vote. It's good to know about these people. It's good to pray for these people. They do a lot of good things for us. But guys, listen to me. Whenever you elevate these people, Look at these people. And it could be anything. This is just one example. Anybody. But when you look at like a political leader, for example, a candidate for president or the president himself as a savior, to save you, to save your family, to save the country, really to save anything at all in the place of Jesus Christ, then what will happen 100% of the time is they will fail you. They will come up short every single time. I don't care who it is. Not just political leaders, any person in the world why is that why is that it's because man every single one of us is imperfect doesn't matter who it is it could be a spouse a, a kid it could be a parent it could be a mentor pastor politically whatever every single one of us is imperfect and every single one of us is in desperate need for a perfect savior and that perfect savior's name is jesus christ again the king of kings and lord of lords he is the only perfect savior there is and so going back to this story, when you look at this story with Abimelech, don't miss what he used. It wasn't so much a person for Abimelech. For the Israelites, it was Abimelech himself. But for Abimelech, don't miss what he used as this kind of functional savior. And it seems kind of weird at first, but just hang with me. This guy uses a stone. He used a stone. Because let's think about this practically. What did Abimelech have to do in order to assert himself into this position of power? To get the stability, to get the uh, uh, support that he needed in his life in order to get what he longed for. What did, what did he need to do? He had to get rid of his brothers, right? Gideon's sons. All these other sons so that he was the only one left, right, that they could look at as a ruler, as a leader. That's what he had to do in his own eyes, right? And so what did he do? How did he get rid of all of these, these other brothers of his? He murdered them in cold blood. He just straight up murdered all of them. There was one that got away. He thought he murdered him, but he got away. He fled, Jotham, right? But all the other ones, he straight up murdered them. And how did he do it? What did he do it on? He did it on a stone. See, what we have to understand is this. The stone was the tool that Gideon used in order to get the salvation that he longed for and that salvation ultimately was the throne the stone was the tool he used in order to get the throne that's what we have to understand and 
And it seems kind of arbitrary to think about that. Like, what, man, what are you talking about? He used a stone as this, like, essentially idol in his life, this, this functional savior that he's looking to, leaning on for support and stability in his life. It seems arbitrary. That just doesn't make any sense. But does anything? Does anything? I mean, isn't everything that we look to, no matter if it's a person, it's a thing, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside or what it is, what it's supposed to be used for. All of it's arbitrary. None of it makes sense. It's all completely irrational, completely illogical. All of it is. In Abimelech's case, it's a stone. And by the way, if you think about this, the fact that this dude used a stone, right, for this, this essentially stability support in his life over and above God himself, that in and of itself kind of flies in the face of, of God. Because think about it. What does is, what is God refer to? Time and time again throughout the Bible, what does God refer to? He's referred to as the solid rock. Time and time again, the solid rock. We sing that song on, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, right? It's referred to as a solid rock. And then what is Jesus referred to time and time again? By several different biblical authors several times, the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's referred to as the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Check out what, what one of the apostles, the apostle Peter actually said about this, about Jesus being the cornerstone. This is 1 Peter Chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, he says, As you come to him, talking about Jesus, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scriptures, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. And the biblical authors that wrote this, in this instance it's Peter, they understood that the, the, the biblical audience that was reading this, that, that was hearing this, and the fact that Jesus is the cornerstone, they understood what that meant. When they heard this word cornerstone, they knew exactly what that, that meant. Like today, we're like, what, what in the world does that mean? He's a stone, what, what does that even mean? We kind of have an idea. But these people, they understood it was a very common kind of construction term, all right? And they knew that, very common construction term. The cornerstone was the main, pivotal, most foundational stone that was used when you built any kind of a structure, any building whatsoever, like a house, a building, whatever it may be, the cornerstone was the most pivotal, most foundational, most important stone. And you would place that, that cornerstone, this big, strong corn uh, stone there uh, for this support. You would place other little stones around it based on the cornerstone to help support it. But here's the thing. If you were to leave all the other stones there to help support this structure, but take out that one stone, just take out the cornerstone, the entire structure would collapse. The entire building would fall, along with all of the other stones that were around it to help support it. That's how pivotal, that's how important this cornerstone was. And they knew that. So that's why when they heard this cornerstone, they knew exactly what that meant. See, what, what Peter was trying to convey to the biblical audience, but then also to us today, is this. When you rely on Jesus Christ 
as the only cornerstone, the only foundation, the solid rock in your life to be there to support you, then no matter what happens in your life, even if everything else in your life collapses and fails you, he never will. He will always be there to hold you up. That's what he's saying. And they knew this. That's what he's saying. But on the flip side of that, if you reject him, or if you try to replace him, which we can't, we lie to ourselves, and we think that we can, but we can't, but if you reject him or try to replace him, then you will be met with an immovable force that will cause you to fall or stumble. That's what Peter's trying to tell us. And so this is an incredible promise for us as believers, an incredible promise that we can hold on to that no matter what happens in life, no matter how crazy it gets through thick and through thin, through the craziest storms, Jesus will be there to support us no matter what, and he will never leave us. He will never leave us. But for those of us that don't rely on Jesus, that haven't surrendered to him as Lord and Savior of our life, this is a very severe, very, very scary warning. And in fact, to, to kind of really capture the magnitude of, of this caution, of this warning, I, I want to hit on Jesus' own words. When Jesus himself references himself as the cornerstone. This is Matthew chapter 21, verse 44. Again, Jesus' own words. This is what he says about himself being the cornerstone. He says, whoever falls on this stone, talking about himself, will be, catch this, broken to pieces. But on whoever it falls on, it will shatter him broken to pieces and shattered him. Strong words, man. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, whoever rejects him or tries to replace him as the only cornerstone, the only one that can truly support and sustain us will be in Jesus' own words, not mine, Jesus' words, broken to pieces and it will shatter him. That's what Jesus says. So in this story, Abimelech may have been relying on a stone, but it wasn't the cornerstone. And just like with any other makeshift functional savior, any idol that we rely on in our life, which for Abimelech was a stone, that stone, just like in our situations, will become the very thing that ultimately will lead to his own destruction. The thing that he leaned on in the place of God will ultimately be the thing that destroys him and shatters him to pieces. And in fact, what we're going to see here in just a moment is God used the son, the son of Gideon, the brother of, of Abimelech that got away, the one that got away, right, to be the one that actually tells him of his own demise. The fact that he, along with all these Israelites, are ultimately going to be destroyed because of what they have done, essentially replacing God. Check this out. This is Judges 9, verse 16. And by the way, we're skipping some text today, um, Tom, but I encourage you to go back and read this because this is the prophecy. The part we're skipping, that's kind of the prophecy he dives into. Go back and read that. In this last part, verse 16, where we're going to pick up, he's kind of ending that, and he's also explaining it, okay? Verse 16, check out what he says. This is Jotham, again, the one that got away. Now, if you have acted faithfully and honestly in making Abimelech king, if you have done well by Jerubbabel and his family, and if you rewarded him proper, appropriately for what he did, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and rescued you from Midian, reminding them what Gideon did. And now you have attacked my father's family today, killed his 70 sons on top of a large stone, and made Abimelech, the son of his slave woman, king over the citizens of Shechem, because he is your brother. So if you have acted faithfully and honestly with Jerubbabel in his house today, rejoice in Abimelech, and may he also rejoice in you. 
But if not, may fire come from Abimelech and consume the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo. And may fire come from the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and lived there because of his brother Abimelech. And then what we see through the next several verses, 29, 30 verses, again, go back and read it. What we see is this, this prophecy that Jotham, Jotham spoke. And really it was God speaking through Jotham, again, the one that got away. We see this prophecy coming true because just three years later, like three years after the stone incident when he murders all of his brothers, all these people like elevate him to the place essentially of God in their life, ruling and reigning over them as their king rather than God. Fast forward three years later, then God, the text tells us, sends this, uh, this evil spirit. And what he's doing is essentially what happens. These guys uh, start to essentially break apart. There is a lot of disunity. People are very two-faced. They start uh, going at each other. They start doing things. The people in Shechem start doing things behind Abimelech's back. He finds out about it, not very happy. So there's a lot of disunity. They are starting to split apart more and more. And remember, the people in Shechem, these are the very same people that helped him rise to power, that wanted him to rule over them as their king in place of God, and then helped him to murder all these 70 brothers. And so that's what we see them doing. And then all of a sudden we see this guy in the text uh, coming into the town in Shechem with all these people. And again, there's division that's been created uh, between the people in Shechem and Abimelech. And so this guy goes in there. He doesn't like Abimelech. It really, he wants power for himself. So he leads all of these people in the town of Shechem essentially to go up and battle against Abimelech. And he starts dissing this dude basically right out there in the public for everybody to hear. Well, somebody um, hears that, overhears this, tells Abimelech what's going on. He says, look, this is what's happening. These guys are about to go up against you in battle. They want to take you down. And so Abimelech goes. He, he basically uh, ends up taking all these guys, and uh, he sets up this ambush, and then he slaughters all of these people that were going to go and do battle against him. He slaughters them. And so you would think that that would be enough for this guy. Like, okay, you taught them a lesson, those guys are gone, you know, and, and so that should be good, right? You would think that that would be enough for this dude, but no. This dude is power hungry, and he is out of control. So the next day, he goes into this town, and remember, these are the people that helped him kill his brothers, that put him in this position of the king over their life. He goes into the town, and he straight up murders them all, men, women, children, all of them. It is a bloodbath. The text tells us that he did battle for the entire day, and he murders all of them, and he destroys the entire town. And then you would think, okay, holy cow, dude, you should be done now, right? But no, this dude is out of control, completely consumed with power. So he keeps on going because he goes to this tower next. This tower that these people in Shechem used, and we talked about it before, they used as simply this temple to worship their own fake false god, right? So he goes to this tower, and what we, what we see in the Bible is that there, there's a thousand people that are in this tower. Men and women is what the text tells us. A thousand people have run away from Abimelech because of what he did. He went on this murder-killing spree, killing all these people, leveled their town. So some of them run away to this tower. They're locked up in there. And so what does this dude do? He goes to this tower, he lights it on fire, and he kills everybody inside. This dude has just killed everybody that he was ruling over, that he was a king over. He killed them all. They're all gone except for the few men that were with him that helped kill them. 
They're all gone. This dude has gone nuts. And you would think, okay, dude, he should be done now. Like maybe about this time, it's starting to set in. He's starting to realize, I've just killed everybody in my makeshift little kingdom here, right? Nobody's gone. The town's level, it's all gone. So you would think, okay, he's probably going to like kind of hit the pause button, you know, and the, the stop, uh, you know, a little bit or something here. But, but no, this dude, he still keeps going because after all of this, it's still not enough. So we then see him going to the next town down the road to do exactly what he just did in this town of Shechem and to all these people in this town by murdering them. Let's check this out. This is verse 51 through 57. We're going to end with this text right here. It says, Abimelech went to Thebes, that's that other town, camped against it and captured it. There was a strong tower inside the city, and all the men and women and the citizens of the city fled there. They locked themselves in and went up to the roof of the tower. And it's kind of, it's painting that picture that this is something that just happened, right? It's like this is reminding us of what just happened. When Abimelech came to attack the tower, he approached its entrance to set it on fire. But a woman, check this out, threw an upper portion of a millstone on Abimelech's head and fractured his skull. He quickly called his armor bearer and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, or they'll say about me, a woman killed me. So his armor bearer ran him through and he died. But what's so ironic about that is he didn't want anybody to know a woman had killed him by a stone. But we still to this day read the fact that a woman killed him with a stone. So in other words, the armor bearer deal did, did nothing for him. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they all went home. In this way, God brought back Abimelech's evil, the evil that Abimelech had done to his father when he killed his 70 brothers. God also brought back to the men of Shechem all their evil. So the curse of Jotham, son of Jerubbabel, came upon them. So in the end, God used the very thing that Abimelech was relying on, this makeshift functional savior, this stone, to provide the support and stability that he wanted in his life to be the very same thing that ultimately destroyed him, that ultimately killed him. And what we have to understand, just like in this story with Abimelech and all the Israelites, we've got this choice to make, man. We can choose to surrender over those those stones in our life, these idols, these makeshift functional saviors in our life, over to the only one that can truly give us the support that we need in our life, which is Jesus Christ, or we can choose to hold on to them and ultimately to be destroyed by them. It's, it's, it's this fight for control is what it is. We either surrender them or we cling to them. And there's no middle ground with that, man. And in the end, it doesn't matter what they are. Again, for Abimelech, it was a daggum stone. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside, man. In the end, it, they will all fail us. No matter what they look like, no matter what they're supposed to do in our life, if we put them to the place of God in our life, or if we try to use them to advance ourselves essentially to the place of God in our life or other people's lives, ultimately, those are those makeshift idols. It doesn't matter what they look like. Like for you, it could be money, it could be power, it could be a job or, or goals in life, it could be people. A lot of times it could be things that we think nobody else knows about, right? And because we think nobody else knows about it, then we think we're going to get away with it, and it's fine. It's not going to hurt anybody if nobody else knows. Like if my spouse doesn't know about this pornography that I'm looking at over here, or if they don't know about the, you know, the, the alcohol that I go and drink by myself on a consistent basis, or these drugs that I take, or this person on the side over here, if my spouse doesn't know, then it's okay. And we lie to ourselves. We tell our, ourselves these things and start to believe them. 
Because what we have to understand is somebody does know. Somebody does know. God knows. He knows every single stone, every single makeshift functional Savior that we have in our life. Every single one of them. Nothing escapes him. And ultimately, again, we all have a choice to make. We all have a decision to make. We're either going to cling to these things in our life, whatever they look like, or we're going to surrender them over to him. The only one that can truly give us stability, the only one that can truly give us support in our life, and that will be there for us no matter what happens, even when everything else in our life completely fails us, he never will. But ultimately, the decision is up to you. And so as the the worship team comes up today, I'm going to go ahead and encourage you guys to come on up. I want to just leave us with that today. This question of who ultimately is the Savior in your life? What are the things that you have been using in your life, these stones, these makeshift saviors, these things that you have been relying on maybe in the place of Jesus to give you stability or support? What are those things? That's something that every single one of us has to wrestle with. And as you pray through that, here in just a moment, we're all going to stand together. Actually, I just go, I go ahead and encourage you guys to stand. And as we sing together and we worship God one last time, I want to encourage you, man, to, to ask him, what are those things in my life that I have been using? Because so often we just skim right past them. We think, oh, this doesn't matter. This isn't a big deal. Guys, again, it doesn't matter what it looks like. In the end, those things that we rely on in the place of Jesus... They'll only lead to one place. They'll only lead to destruction. So as we sing, you respond. Whatever those things are, you have the chance, the opportunity to give them over to him. He loves you so much. He won't force you to. We've got the altar open. We've got a prayer team that's available as well. So if you want prayer, if you've got questions, if you're somebody that's here today and you've never responded to the gospel and you want to know more about Jesus, man, this is the place to ask. And if God is stern on your heart and you're ready to, to, you're ready to just surrender your life over to him and saying, God, I don't want this control anymore. I've leaned on these other things and my life is out of control. I'm ready to surrender my life over to you. If that's you, man, don't wait. Don't wait. The time to do that is now. So as we sing, you respond. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. 
Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, it comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you. 